Welcome to the iFreeSphere podcast presented by iFree Simulations, bringing the voices of the future in medtech into conversation. Today we are joined by Professor Dan Panero and Dr. Fabio Patello, both from McGill University Health Center. I thank them both for joining us today. So, Fabio and Dan, would you like to take a second just to introduce yourself and your background and your esteemed career? Dan, let's start with you. Sure. It's my pleasure to be here uh, with you. And um, I'm a um, sort of a mixed bag of um, clinical research um, and other um, sort of things that constitute my profession, I guess. I'm a pediatric surgeon, so I started through medicine and then did my usual trainings and uh, event for surgery and then pediatric surgery. This is uh, a few centuries ago, easily. Then from there on, sort of started in most of us as at this level of, of uh, subspecialty, we end up in academic practice and that's what I did. So I started in, in Ontario at Queens. With that come various sort of training, academic sort of uh, opportunities. And I got uh, first master's in, in education uh, through University of Illinois in Chicago. And, um, and then what happened then? I, then uh, basically I, um, I stayed in, in academic clinical practice for a while. Then I had the amazing opportunity to spend a good decade, a little bit more than a decade in Africa, living, working with my family there. And during that time, sort of was totally awed by the needs in global settings and um, ended up um, getting a... Um, another master in master's in international development, and then eventually a PhD in something sort of related to, to international development, but specifically looking at uh, the global burden of disease. And that sort of, with that, I came back uh, in nine, in about eight years ago, back to McGill. This is where I had trained originally. And, uh, and realized that at this point, sort of starting being now already in my 50s, I wanted to focus more on research than on the clinical practice, which is what I did. And eventually came to the current position where I'm mostly research position. And uh, the interest sort of tried to identify where I wanted to go. And initially, my, my main interest from the beginning was in the process of communication between physicians and their patients within surgical teams and so forth, started the lab, which is called Commissure Lab, because it's about commissures, which is a word word that sort of denotes various connections between things, including, of course, communication, and uh, did that in the pre-COVID um, years. And then through COVID, somehow, the whole process of innovation and AI and VR sort of started becoming stronger and stronger and uh, really geared and sort of transitioned my lab into this interface between on one side communication and on the other side innovation and technology and that's where I am right now with uh, um, our lab still has a significant global therefore equity focus it has it's very much focuses on the interface between physicians, patients, and teams, and the innovation. And that comes with, on one side, uh, 
AI, dealing a lot with artificial intelligence in this space, and VR. And of course, that's where the, the inaugural and key project for us has been the Petit VR, which I'll let Fabio tell you more about. But we have actually a second sort of a similar-ish project in VR, which is all about, still about simulation training, but in a different specialty in anesthesia, uh, focusing still on how, how the, this type of innovation transforming simulation from a 1990s model of mannequins to the current model of uh, immersive VR uh, setting it really can happen and proving that it works and it's better than the traditional model and a lot more eff effective as well. So that's a little bit of where I am. I'll stop here for now. <laughs> Perfect. And we'll obviously talk more about the Petit VR project as well as some of the other projects working on, particularly within the global context. So that's something we think the listeners will be definitely interested in listening to. But now we'll pass over to Fabio, if you would like to give just, again, a bit of background on you, your career and interests and stuff you're working on. Sure. So hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm Fabio, and I always like to start at first I'm Brazilian. I think this is really <laughs> important for my career because I think that I had the privilege to, to live in a place that I could see, like, really good settings that were really well developed and settings that were completely not developed at all. I think that Brazil can be a little sample of the world, you know, in terms of uh, things that work, things that uh, don't work, and I could live that uh, throughout my life. So, and actually my father is a, a doctor, my mother is a social worker, and I think that this mixture also contributed somehow for my career and where I am today. I went to medical school. I was fascinated about surgery because the practical aspect, how you could solve problems sometimes really fast. I had good mentors as well, but I always was always fascinated to regarding diplomacy and this international collaborations, things that uh, Brazil was one day really good at. We can like discuss this. It actually, nowadays it's be not so could not be so proud, but but Brazil always has was this like a Pacific place with good international collaboration. So I thought that how we could bring that to my field. There was when I I realized the field of global surgery that would like to address these particular gaps to try to improve access to the surgical services and also the safety of these services around the world. And, and thinking about that, I think the problems back at, at home, because there we have a really big issue with pediatric trauma. It's the number one cause of death and mortality of children over one year old. And unfortunately, not only road traffic accident, but a lot of, a lot of violence too. And at that time, I was naive, naive thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to do trauma surgery and pediatric surgery, and then I'm going to address this problem. But of course, I cannot address this by myself. And doing one surgery is not enough. 
for what they they need, like the population needs. And uh, we needed to go deeper and explore more like really efficient solutions that could address problem in a global scale. That led me to, to Canada because here, actually at Montreal, in Montreal, they have the only global surgery pediatric program that help people that would like to understand more how to address these problems in the world. So, and coordinated by Dr. Ponero, which uh, it's here and it's a privilege to be with him. And our work and our research pointed us that virtual reality could be like a solution to address uh, these global pediatric trauma problems that we could actually use that to break the barrier of pediatric trauma education and uh, try to prepare better the doctors and uh, not only them, but also the other healthcare providers that deal with pediatric trauma uh, to, to be well prepared when they face like a, a case of injured child. Um, so I think that uh, as a introduction, I think that that's me and that's uh, where I am. And I would love to chat more about specific points that I may like us to address. Wonderful. Well, one, one of the first questions I wanted to kick off with, which you've touched on quite nicely there, and it's, it's a simple one, but it's going to be quite a big question, which is simply, what are these challenges? What are these biggest challenges in global pediatric care, particularly, as you mentioned, the sort of low and middle income countries? So I think that uh, there are some problems nowadays with global pediatric surgical care is because everything that is being like created to pediatric trauma care is not everything, but most of the things, they are really expensive and they cannot be like affordable for like uh, low and middle income countries. So just an example. Uh, so sure. nowadays the gold standard like simulation-based medical education practice uh, uses like uh, high fidelity mannequins and each of these high fidelity mannequins they cost each one like around two hundred thousand dollars so if you'd like to run a course you're going to have like four or five then for one center and and then you can have a course during weekend for only 24 25 trainees so this is really expensive this is not a not not, not feasible and actually we tried to do that and in Brazil, in the place that where I came from, and it was not possible. So this is really a big challenge that we cannot always import things that are doing in high-income countries, and that leads to a really ethical problems because we know that people are doing this outside or for regions, but we cannot offer that. And consequently, our patients are not going to receive these like good standard care. So, so that's the reason I think that uh, if you'd like to do innovation, uh, we always have to think, is this innovation decreasing equity or increasing equity? So this is really a key like, yeah. question for us to, to try to address the problems of the world. And this is just one example of like a challenging in low and middle income countries regarding like pediatric care and maybe Dr. Poenari can point. Like that, that cost point, particularly for high fidelity mannequins is it's obviously not to the same extreme, but that's even a friction within high income countries. So it's, it's something which there are lots of problems which are sort of consistent throughout and obviously they get more severe 
as the sort of the medical background changes. Pass over to Dan, if you would have jumped in on this question. Sure, sure. If you were looking at the question sort of from a more, from a broader perspective of what are the key challenges, it's interesting because we're working against some misconceptions and that's, there's multiple misconceptions regarding global work, but the misconception as far as what are the great challenges is that people tend to focus on bricks and mortar. It's tend to tend to focus on facilities and we need more hospitals and so forth. And that is almost the last thing that, that, that people in low and middle income countries really need more of. There've been plenty of Northern wide efforts to build hospitals and facilities and so forth. Clearly the human aspect, the human resource aspect of care is much more significant and the access to, to care are the, these two, two main things. Access is huge and very difficult to address, of course, because there's not one solution. It has to do with poverty. It has to do with equity. It has to do with, uh, with, uh, population-based resources, and it's therefore very difficult to address. We focused on the human resources, not necessarily by training more people, but by trying to provide the best training that's not accessible to them, to the ones, to the provision, to the providers on the, on, on the ground. And uh, Fabio can tell you about the Brazilian situation where these Trauma surgeons are superb surgeons. They're very well trained. They just don't know how to handle pediatric trauma. I think that uh, it was interesting to, to hear your comment because uh, I was just thinking about that. Why why we like we like trauma, for an example, in terms of trying to address this problem. First, because it's the number one cause, you know, like of death and, and disability in like severe parts of the world. And, and it's simple to treat most of the traumas. I'm not saying, of course, all of them, but usually what you need is to offer oxygen, put the chest tube in, get a really good IV access and start fluids. And this is, as Dan mentioned, you don't need like huge hostels to do that. You don't need like uh, really experts to do that. And still is the number one of the number one cause problems in child care. So what we what we we thought is that you know like people are not assessing what are the real needs and what we can and the the real solutions for these these real needs so as as was mentioned in brazil like uh, and it's interesting to see the problems of middle-income countries in contrast of low-income countries because middle-income countries do have like resources we do have uh, human resources it's more uh, question of administration or organization and to put people to talk to the other to address these problems. And uh, and in one of our research in a really good like trauma hospital, we could see that only 34% of the essential steps to treat like to manage a pediatric trauma care, they were being done, you know. So so that was when we thought why we're doing that, you know. And uh, and and then we are now realized that it's because first nobody has shown these numbers before, and secondly there is this urge for like more pediatric education, 
that uh, that was neglected for a long time. And maybe because the simulation labs weren't being like a barrier instead of a solution, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, mm-hmm. the project we're working on, uh, Petite VR, aims to address some of those aspects, which ties in nicely to the question we always have to ask on these, which is what attracts you to, to VR to solve these solutions? Particularly as well, talking about sort of this concept of sustainable and cost effective uh, solutions to training problems. What is it about VR in particular that attracted you as, as, as a potential solution? It was what I like of our like work together is because we did a lot of research to, to find the way to go, you know? So when we thought, you know, we need like a more efficient that trauma course that can work around the world. So we, we did our homework. Uh, we went to the literature and we, we, we started to, to read all, every article related to pediatric trauma education to find a model that we could like copy maybe or address some of the limitations. And then specifically because we knew this problem of like feasibility of some technologies, we also take a look into the technologies that people, the technology that people were like using. And then when we classified them in the feasibility score, few of them were really feasible in some papers, it started the conversation regarding virtual reality. Of course, we don't have like uh, solutions, like a full or submissive course or trauma nowadays, but we saw that what we need to do like a really good trauma course we need to be immersive we need for it to train technical skills and non-technical skills such communication leadership situation hours decision making uh, we need to be like a safe environment for people to to do mistakes and have proper feedback and this the simulation lab can do but without the 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 accessibility that VR can really offer and also the escape to be like a scale, really scale because the mannequins, they are rigid, you know, it's the same mannequin. Maybe they are going to change the size, but in VR, you can like do different patients, different scenarios. It's unlimited the, the, the kind of scenarios that we can work with. So what we, we think, and I think that and I'm telling what we think because research is, is still to come for that. But I really do believe that the virtual reality will have much better results in terms of knowledge acquisition and, and how it prepares the surgical teams and the medical teams in comparison to high fidelity mannequins because of these features that we just talked about. Well, actually, what I mean, you, you've explained it very, very well. All the multiple, multiple advantages of virtual reality just seems, it simply seems to be the right place, the right environment in which simulation can happen. I just wanted to bring, it occurs to, occurred to me as you're talking about this, that the very first time when, when I thought about, about Petit VR, about having a trauma simulation, team simulation, what happened was I got my millennial kids to find me the best team multiplayer games in VR on the market. And they came with about two or three, and I started looking through that. 
And I identified Star Wars, Star, Star Trek bridge crew as the best one. And I was just looking, I remember looking for the first time to that simple old in game in 3D and 2D as well. And where you've got a captain and you've got the various people, the helm officer and the tactical officer. And I thought, wait, this is a trauma team. This is exactly a trauma team. And they're communicating. And why is it that that little kids, rich kids here can afford to play all these games and we can't simulate in this environment? And that's basically what I brought to the table originally. I said to everybody, this is, can we do something like Star Trek Bridge Crew? And it's at its high stress and it's immersive and it's all of the things which you, you tackle in a trauma team. Exactly. Oh, this, uh, this ties in really well because particularly as well, talking about VR, one of the benefits, particularly when tackling the global market, is it can be localized a lot easier than it can be for, you know, either patient actors, which obviously are located in a certain area, or even mannequins to a certain degree, because obviously materials and such need to be localized. But with VR, you can localize the whole system for new regions, new languages and the like. And one of the questions I want to go through in terms of using VR to tackle global issues is simply how do you scale? So taking something like PR, how do we then use that and broaden that to 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 meet these global challenges? Well, scaling VR is about scaling whatever process you're trying to to develop in it. VR is a tool. VR is an environment. Uh, VR is the equivalent of a book. It's a very fancy book. But so how do you scale books? Well, you, you print a lot of that. You, you invent a printing press. And Gutenberg helps you to be able to print cheap books, right? So uh, the, the feel that, that scaling is not, it's almost not what we need to be concerned about because it is happening. It's the simple effect of technology being increasingly affordable and being perceived in low and middle income countries as the opportunity to leapfrog in development. So, so cell phones, for example, I don't know if people actually wondered how do we scale cell phones so that it's going to cell phones but smartphones will be around the world it simply happened the lmic started producing them or purchasing them from from countries at low prices and all of a sudden they became more more scaled in that context than in ours so that in fact we've seen in a lot of technology in the technology which is truly geared towards low resource settings we've actually seen reverse innovation where we learn, where we see what is actually happening in low middle income countries in order to be able to bring this to scale. Because if they're able to distribute them, disseminate it widely in their setting, surely we can easily do that. So that's to me a sort of a simplistic answer to the to the issue of scale. You, the content if you're if you're thinking specifically of let's say simulation vr simulation for for medical scenarios the content is the same educational content that is already disseminated throughout the world in the form of youtube videos courses expensive courses including mannequin courses and so forth and then you piggyback to that the technology you 
have a proof of concept in in our setting and immediately in a in a low middle income country set, setting where you show this technology which requires one VR headset which the the prices and the new products are actually bringing pushing down that price beautiful we we can we can do it for cost already that is much smaller than the combined cost of infrastructure for non-immersive environments like mannequins and and of course the cost of travel because of the lack of localization as you mentioned before so to me it's a process which is inexorable it simply will happen we just have to ride this wave i think we can like support this automatic process let's say like that with like research and proving that it's that it works it's safe and i think there is a big myth still that uh, virtual reality for the user is something expensive i thought that myself you know like i could i cannot afford like a virtual reality headset i was i thought that but then i saw the prices and actually nowadays is even cheaper than some smartphones you know so so i think that this is something that we should also like every time would like to to support this idea of medical education virtual reality is really to 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 tell people it's cost effective because it is and and i think this process should be really automatic and people will see the benefits and would like to be part of that that's a really good point and that probably uh there's research I've seen, particularly looking at refugee groups in low-income groups, uh, low-income countries, sorry, where they've gone and had this assumption that what they need is technology. They need more technology. You know, they don't have phones. They don't have all these things. And then they get there and find out everyone's got a phone. Everyone knows how to use a phone. Instead, the problem, the, the access, as you say, the access, the information. And so I wonder if something that PTBR will have as, as sort of gets disseminated as this research takes place. It's to break against that misconception that it's the technology itself which fixes the problem, but rather it is it is a matter of the education and a matter of the quality of the education as well. Yeah, so I think that you brought a really good point, and of course, like uh, to be transparent and also for people to really rely and trust in what we are talking about, we should be the ones to point the limitations to, and. One of the limitations of virtual reality is really the acceptance to the technology, and a lot of people are afraid to use that. And 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 some people also think it's really hard to use because then you have like two jo- two joysticks. You are paying attention in a lot of information that is coming from, and and that was something that we are thinking about all the time. When we are developing TVR, and by the way, it's that prominent training virtual reality. When we know this limitation, we can do a better product because we are always thinking about that. So, if I'm going to interact with this, for an example, this a chest tube here, how I can be really try to be natural as possible instead of like complex ways to do that. Tutorials can help that something that we are really thinking about to have as soon as possible. And we should be the ones also to make the platform as easier as possible, which should be used. So this is this should be a concern of 
people that are engaging in virtual reality and try to develop their products. Of course. And that's something which I imagine as well will also improve as the industry evolves. And that's certainly, certainly a lot of the work we do is in publishing usability studies, evaluation studies to demonstrate, look, this isn't as scary as it might first seem if you've never used VR before. We often like to say the best way of introducing someone to VR is to simply put them in a headset and, and walk them through it. And that often is just the barrier that needs to get broken down before people can understand how this can be so fully utilized like it is in petite VR. So I find that one of the most common arguments that are being brought forward against technological progress in clinical uh, care and clinical sciences is the fact that this would, in fact, be limiting access to this to this progress in or to these to these resources in low and middle income countries who are perceived as being technologically behind us in the high income countries when in fact the reality is exactly the opposite because of the opportunities and the lack of more traditional structures we've seen technology truly leapfrog and uh, and be often more advanced things such as access to smartphones things that, such as access to electronic transition uh, transactions and therefore in general the digital savviness and the digital literacy in low and middle income countries often well surpasses the ones in north america or europe where we've just had such a good previous standard traditional analog infrastructure where do you see uh, the field of global trauma, trauma care, a global pediatric surgery, um, not just in relation to technology, particularly in relation to education, advancing in the next couple of years? What are the next big hurdles, advances? What are you interested in seeing? So what's, what's next for the field? So I think that uh, first I'd like to be people not comfortable with the numbers, like not only say pediatric trauma, but trauma at all care. And uh, this is a disease. This is a disease that is being uh, neglected, not only care, but education, the prevent prevention that makes a lot of like, uh, maybe the, the most beautiful work, but people only can start to do prevention campaigns if they are well-educated in trauma. So everything starts with education because a lot of time people think, you know, it's an accident, this happened, this is the destiny, this is the life, you know, we cannot do anything about that. And that's not true. You know, trauma should not be the number one cause of death for a lot of people. So I think that we should really be, try to be not comfortable with that and to try to combat the problem itself. I think. Uh, virtual reality is coming as really the technology to address the problem of education, as we spoke a lot about that. And uh, with that, we're going to have teams that will be more experts on that. And then uh, with more expertise, that leads that they are not going to be satisfied with like poor outcomes. So they're going to start the internal process of improving themselves. And that is going to need, it's like a, a beautiful circle where one improvement leads to another. The second, I think, 
really important point in, in pediatric trauma is to work more on our non-technical skills. Uh, we spoke a little about that. And uh, when we say non-technical skills, you are mentioned about we should work and improve our communication, leadership, situation, awareness, decision-making process. Because this is still one of the main reasons for like errors in, in trauma care. So for example, if I'm not communicating well with my team, maybe I'm going to select a wrong medication or do or miss an injury because I didn't ask the team's opinion. And more than half of the errors is because of this lack of non-technical skills. And for many years, many times we are teaching trauma and debriefing real cases of trauma, say, I didn't like the number of the tube that you selected, probably smaller to be enough, instead of say, why you didn't like ask the opinion of the, your team instead of which would be the best tube, you know? So it's, it's taking the responsibility of the provider to know everything, but to share more and then have more brains handling the situation together. So I think this is really a key point to be concerned of. Virtual reality can help in that to train these skills. And I think it would be really beautiful to, to see that. So for me, in summary, like there are two big problems in, in trauma care and slash education. The first one is the lack of non-technical skills. This for high-coming and low-income countries that we can address this, as we mentioned. And the second is to have access to education that is efficient. And hopefully PTVR will be able to address these two key points. Excellent. Thank you. Dan, we'll pass over to you. Sure. Yeah, I'd like to take the other side of it in terms of uh, pediatric surgery and global surgery in general. I think that in my in our specialty, in my specialty, and in many other surgical specialty, the main, the biggest next thing that is actually starting to happen and will definitely will move in that direction is that of precision care, which includes precision diagnostics, precision therapeutics, and that means AI because you need artificial, you need machine learning, you need computer vision, you need all the components of AI. To, to bring data science to bear to, to actually make it improve clinical outcomes and clinical diagnosis in that way. So that's for global for, for pediatric surgery. I see that being a very important thing on the actual technical skill side, without question, virtual reality is the place we go because in education, as far as education goes, because we already are dealing with a sort of virtual environment or immersive environment through robotic surgery, through laparoscopic surgery and so forth. So the material is already there. The most exciting thing about this is that when you bring the two together, when you bring a virtual reality immersive environment together with artificial intelligence, what you actually get is a full scale replacement of traditional education. And where the environment, the setting has become now virtual, but through AI, you're also able to actually replace and democratize the faculty presence who supervises, 
who checks your answers, who scores the student and so forth. And this is an area that so want to go towards because in fact, we can replace examinations and create them in a virtual reality environment, therefore creating this truly democratizing simulation and education for any environment without even the need for some expert from the global north, because that expert is already embedded in the artificial intelligence. And hopefully that expert is actually an expert from the global south, so that there is a true decolonizing aspect to that. And I think that very much in the same way for global surgery in general, we've done all we could as a specialty, as a field, that's a new field by collaborating, collaborating, sending teams, teaching, doing research and so forth. But now I think the frontier now is that of democratizing what is available to us by, through, by using innovation and technologies so that the players and the hosts in, in the low middle income countries can actually use these materials themselves and create these materials themselves. That to me is where we need to go to. Wonderful. And that's something which we see quite a lot in terms of the actual resource cost of the technology is often considered, but the resource cost of the time of the staff and the sheer number of hours that are required from clinical teams, surgical teams. And I imagine talking about decolonization, that there's probably some bias there where people think, well, a surgeon from the North, his time is, or their time is more valuable somehow than a surgeon from the South. And that obviously isn't the case. And this is something which can, which we are can help to democratize that and make that more equal. I think that the main problem, let's say like that with colonization is what is colonization first is like when we would like to impose, you know, like our way of thinking to someone else, let's say like that in terms of population, like to another culture and, and this kind of things. So I think that, uh, it's always a start because we actually, we don't notice that we have this tendency, you know, to try to do that every time we have the opportunity. So, so we really need to be aware of that first to address this problem is to, you know, is if is somehow here, I'm trying to like, to not address the problem of like, uh, of these people would like to, to address in my point of view. So the world was doing this for a long time, not only like uh, for for the economic perspectives, but also in healthcare and where, as Dr. Benaro mentioned, people would like go there, creating hospitals and like try to address these problems when the solution may be more simple, you know. So, so, so I believe that, for an example, technologies such as that, that again, like uh, decreases the inequities, they offer more power to people everywhere to have a level of discussion in the field and to be as well prepared and people that is in high income countries, for example, they don't need to come here and to do a trained trauma just to be as experts and have the same level of discussion so they can bring agendas, the same agenda and, and, and this kind of things and solutions. So for that, maybe it's easy to think about solutions such as artificial intelligence and for example, the chatbots, because one of the problems that we were 
for example, Brazil, that's a Portuguese language country, it was really hard for us to publish research. And, and maybe this created like an environment that uh, we don't know research or, for example, we don't have cases or don't have expertise. But the main issue is because we don't have the language skills to do that in the best journals. So, and then these chatbots, they, they, they come and then they can translate perfectly our thoughts and our ideas. And this is a process of decolonizing, you know, because then English, that is a privilege, would not be any more a privilege. I hope so. And, and to help people that has an internal voice, but to have, to have a global voice. I think that's a really important point to finish up on. Where can people find out more about you, your work, ongoing projects, and what you're up to at the moment? Uh, we have a website about PTVRs, ptvr.com. Uh, we are also in social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. The tag is at PTTrauma, underline PT. So if everybody wants to follow me, I always try to put plenty of updates regarding PT, but I'll, what I think it's interesting in pediatric surgery and tech trends in technology is Fabio Botelho. I think the best place to find what uh, I'm up to, what we're up to, is our lab um, website, which is commissurelab.ca. It's a commissure without the E at the end, as it stands for communication and surgery lab.ca. And we actually have a blog in there as well and uh, all that's that's stunning and just uh, feel free to join us there so i'm gonna finish by thanking you both for your time some really nice insightful discussions here i think and we will look forward to talking with you both again in the future thanks for listening to ivory sphere be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to get the latest episodes as they are released and for more information Follow iFree Simulations on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Links in the description below. And visit our website at iFreeSimulations.com for news and updates on our works towards the future of MedTech.